The Pathfinder Podcast is presented to you by Ansarado. Ansarado is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Since 2005, Ansarado has been trusted in over 24,000 transactions and powered over $1 trillion worth of deals. Ansarado is a secure space that includes workflow tools, AI-powered data rooms, built-in question and answer and integration frameworks. It's the data room trusted by modern dealmakers. You can start for free today at Ansarada.com. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me, Ansarada.com for your next winning outcome. Welcome to The Pathfinders, the modern dealmaker series brought to you by Ansarada. Now here's your host, Dahani Jones. Welcome back, everybody, to The Pathfinders, presented by Ansarada. I'm your host, former NFL player, investor, and entrepreneur, Tahani Jones. Today, I'm joined by Rachel Jacobson. Rachel is the president of the Drone Racing League, the global professional drone racing circuit seen on NBC, Twitter, and other premier sports networks internationally. Before that, she spent over 20 years working at the NBA, finishing her time there as senior vice president of business development. She's with us today to share some of her deal-making stories, give us an inside look into the high-speed world of drone racing, and offer her insights into what it's like to break the glass ceiling in the world of professional sports league management. Welcome, Rachel. Well, hello there. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I, I just want to say, like, I'm so excited to talk to you because, you know, you know, we met not too long ago. But we immediately hit it off. And there's just something about your personality that I know was quintessential in the way that you move through the world. Like, we sat down. We were trying to have some food. They thought we needed some reservations. But no, we don't need reservations. We need Rachel. Because when Rachel sits down, people just, you know, listen to you. I mean, has it always been this way that as soon as you walk into a room, people have to pay attention or else they're just going to, you know, they're just going to get read the riot act because you're just going to get it done regardless. Well, I don't know if the listeners know, Dahani is also my PR manager, so he's <laughs> definitely keeping that job. Thank you for that warm introduction. And yes, I don't know. I got that gift early on of just figuring out what I needed to do to really engage with people, both on the social side, on the business side. And, you know, I think it served me well in terms of building and really forging these relationships like ours. Well, I mean, either you learned it on the fly or maybe you learned it at Cornell I mean, you had to learn it somewhere. I mean, there had to be some sort of like early experiences, you know, through maybe like entrepreneurship or just getting to know people. But like, what what were those watershed moments that provided this path, right? Because being in business management, being in professional sports, we know how it's dominated. We know how it's ruled. It's an aggressive atmosphere. It's just like the locker room. And you had to have sort of these skills either taught or you saw it along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a winner mentality. I love that. It's like, I'm a winner. I figure it out. I make it happen, but it doesn't always come easy. And I think growing up, I played team sports. I was on the track team. I was also the head cheerleader. So maybe that's where you get a little bit of my rah-rah from. It was a good intersection of like competitive team sports and then, you know, being the consummate cheerleader, both in, in business and as well as doing that. But 
to your point, it was really that just like will to win where Mm. in the academic world, in middle school and high school, it doesn't always come easy. And as my mom liked to say, I would be up till the wee hours of the night studying, you know, for for the test. For other people, you know, they have a photographic memory and they don't need to study as much. But I just always felt like I wanted that step ahead. And what comes from wanting to get an advantage there is being prepared. And I think, again, as you know, from being a competitive athlete is you have to put the work in. And when you put the work in, it's going to set you up for success. So when I was undergrad at, at Cornell, I think I spent four years working every weekend at a thoroughbred racetrack. And when I got to interviewing for full-time jobs, one of the things that really differentiated me was you're a college student. You're usually out socializing, partying on the weekends. And when I talked about my work experience and my internship, I said, I worked at Thoroughbred Racetrack. Their biggest days were on Saturdays and Sundays. So I was working every weekend for four years. So I think those, you know, at those interviews, they understood okay, she's got incredible work ethic and discipline to really say, like, this is a priority for her. Yeah, I, when I was in college, I worked at a bike shop. And I, and I think that the best days of the bike shop are pretty much every day. So I would, you know, go to class and I would go to practice and then I'd go work at the bike shop. I mean, I, I have such a, a respect for those that work their way while they're in college, regardless if they're working just a little bit of time. But the fact that you were on the ground at the track, Saturday and Sunday. I mean, you probably could have predicted who was going to win the Kentucky Derby this year. I should have probably called you. That, that was my fault. And the fact that you also stayed up late as a young child, I did the same type of thing. I think there's just something something in a personality of a person that drives themselves to work so hard and have that amount of diligence and have that amount of effort because you, you're not going to get it by sitting on the on the couch all the time. and and being in the NBA for 20 years, you know, management trainee, working on you all the way up to the top as a senior vice president. I mean, was it staying up late or was it working at the track that got you there? Um, Well, the NBA is a great story because I wanted to come out of undergrad and be in the sports and entertainment industry. I just felt like it was a perfect marriage of my interests, my skill sets, like you've said, my energy, it would be a good career path for me. And the NBA had started this management training program. It was David Stern's, you know, model of what Dick Eversall did at NBC, where they had this media training program called the PAGE program. So David started this a year prior to my graduation. He hired seven people that first year. I was in the second year class. And what I loved about this opportunity is he wanted to really cross train this group of people to bring them in the organization, move them quicker, have them understand the interrelationships of the different departments, to essentially become the next leaders of the company. And I was so fortunate to have that opportunity and have that access to David at the time, who was the commissioner, 
Adam, who's now commissioner, who is the deputy commissioner, Mark Tatum, who's now the deputy commissioner, like all these senior leaders. So I saw firsthand, how did they figure it out early on in their careers to set them up for where they were? And I just took you know, everything in. I was always the one raising my hand for more. I lived at home with my parents for three years. I got on a train every morning at 6.10. Thank you to my father, who I will make tune into this. My dad (laughs) would drive me to the train every morning at 6. He would then pick me up at night. And at my wedding, he talked about those favorite 12 minutes of the day that we were together. And there was this excitement of me really attacking every day that I had going into work. Well, I I, I have to ask, what what did you all talk about in those 12 minutes? Usually work. No, but a lot of family stuff too. You know, I have a older sister, I have a younger brother and just, you know, we're very connected. I'm very fortunate. Everyone lives close. So we would talk about that. We would talk about like my, my agenda, you know, what meetings I had, what interesting people I was going to meet. And then usually by the time he picked me up, there were stories about my mom during the day, you know, (laughs) we did this and, and we did that. And our family is also very involved with thoroughbred horses. As you know, when you mentioned the Kentucky Derby. So throughout the year at different times, Saratoga leading up to the Derby, it's a lot of horse talk too. (laughs) Well, like I think, you know, to be able to spend that quality time in your professional career with your parents or with your father, I mean, not a lot of people can say that. And I know they're, they're proud of you. And I think it's amazing to be able to kind of look back on those moments and sort of realize how instrumental they were in the major transitions that you have have had and the relationships that you've built along the way. Not a lot of people can just call David Stern David or Adam Silver Adam. I mean, you're just calling these people that, that run like a major organization by first names because you've developed those sort of, you know, you've developed those personal relationships and they've helped and they fostered your growth along the way. Was there one moment in time when David or Mr. Stern or, or Adam or Mr. Silver said something or did something or helped you in a way that allowed you to break through the ceiling? Definitely. Whenever David reached out to you, or as you say, David Stern, there was always that like anxiousness. What's David going to ask about? You know, he was the most knowledgeable and well-read in every boardroom, in every meeting. He was always 10 steps ahead. So you you really had to bring your A-game when you knew that you were going to be in his presence. Well, mm-hmm. times that by 10, when you don't know he's going to be calling you and just everything that goes goes through your head about why is he calling? What's he going to ask about? And my watershed moment to your point was I was sitting in my office. You see at the time you used to use phones that it would come up the person's name that was calling you. And I saw David Stern and he said, I want to talk to you about something. And at the time I was selling sponsorships for the NBA. So I had moved from partnerships, managing the day-to-day partnerships to really going out and sourcing new business. And 
you know, meeting with companies, understanding what was important to them and putting together like the most dynamic, innovative types of partnerships. A lot of money was being invested in the league and doing all of these incredible things together. So at the time, the NBA and the WNBA was separate in terms of who was selling sponsorships. So David picked up the phone. I saw him and he said, hey, hot shot. <laughs> I want you to sell the WNBA as well. You have a great passion for gender equity. I've seen what you've done here at the league on the sales side. And we want to look at really co-opting these opportunities. There's no reason why we don't go after multifaceted partnerships where a company is investing in the NBA and the WNBA. Now it makes perfect sense. At the time, it was like one of those structural things that, you know, it was a little bit of a separation. So I was like, of course, I've got it. And I think it was like at that moment where he said, you know, hey, hotshot, this is really important. This is good for everybody here. Kind of figure it out that I found myself not just wanting to show success and please him, but I found myself starting to think much more strategically about the business and one of the things when he was instrumental in moving me to business development is, Rachel, everyone wants to see that you can run a company and you can raise money. Like that's, I know, I know that's a little bit of what you've got your hand in right now. When you think about investing, it's sitting across from investors knowing what's going to be important for them to get them and you know the confidence to make a bet because it's essentially it's a bet to make a bet on you so roundabout way of saying for me it was when david like asked me to do this other thing that i then went into a whole nother gear of not wanting to just show success there but you know i made sure that every company was investing in the WNBA. And I think for me, that's always been a passion point. And to have early on in my career being part of really that growth trajectory has, you know, served not just me well, but the entire industry when we think about companies needing to support women's sports in general. Well, you, your, your heart had to be beating out of your chest when you got that phone call from from David. And even when he said, hey, hotshot, I feel like you already knew something big was coming. And you'd been preparing your, your entire life. I, I think from the time that you spent at college, the time that you spent in the car with your father, the time you're working at the track. I mean, you are used to the proverbial gun going off and it's your time to make something happen. And I, and I think that that's something that's, that you've carried alongside side with you. And so when he was able to kind of give you that opportunity and you took it on, how did you sort of take some of your past experiences and equate that into your deal-making mindset? And also, how did you remain passionate in what you're doing? You know, you're doing stuff in the NBA. And now you had to kind of cross-promotionalize. You had to cross-sell into the WNBA. How did you kind of take that deal-making mindset, remain passionate, and just basically close everything in order to kind of set the new standard? Because no one's just getting the name Hotshot without actually doing something big. 
So I was like obsessive in understanding everything about the league, the players, the business structure, the owners of the WNBA teams, because again, like they're all shareholders that, you know, we wake up every day to take care of. And I just started thinking about who are some of the most powerful women executives who are some of the male counterparts that are running companies that need to show diversity in their workforce and who need to be out there promoting. When you think about getting customers and clients, you want to show that you're as invested in women as you are in men. So I tried to flip the narrative around not just pitching a company, but pitching more of like a holistic opportunity. Like you are making an investment, not just in basketball, but you're making an investment in an opportunity for your company to really shine a positive spotlight on what you are doing to break these barriers and really highlight the best of the best in women on the court and off the court. The Pathfinders podcast is presented to you by Ansarada. Ansarada is the modern deal and virtual data room technology designed to make M&A, capital raising, divestments, restructures, and IPOs as simple as possible. Ansarada has just launched Freemium with the world's first online data room quote. Now you can get a free data room and quote in just three clicks and just 15 seconds. There's no need to wait. Get your room open straight away no matter what stage you're at. Deal marketing, deal preparation, or due diligence. And here's the best bit. Usage fees only start when the deal goes live. All the top M&A firms and investment banks are jumping on it. That's because there is no risk, just reward. Pretty cool, right? Check it out at Ensarada.com slash quote. You know I like a winning team, so say it with me. Ensarada.com for your next winning outcome. What was one of the biggest deals that you did? The Pepsi partnership. How big was it? Rachel, I just want to know how you got the job done. Because a lot of people would be like, oh, it's, you know, Pepsi. They would have been nervous. They would have sat back. They would have been like, okay, well, I need to take some time and figure things out. I'm pretty sure the first week you made a phone call to someone at Pepsi and you closed the deal in less than two weeks. I, I know it. So how'd you do eight it? Months. It was eight months. So how'd you get it done? So that's a good one because we had been partnered with Coca-Cola for 30 years. Like this is talk about a game changer. We had been with one company literally for, for 30 years. You know, they had one of like the signature events in the season. They had been with us through thick and thin. And we, you know, looked at the landscape of that category and just wanted to figure out what we could do with Pepsi at the time. Pepsi was investing in all of the other major sports leagues. They had NFL, they had NHL, they had MLB. And we looked at their marketing prowess. So I got connected with their head of, you know, sports and entertainment, Adam Harder. I think we talked about early on, like no money was ever discussed at the onset. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of like 
building the relationship, figuring out what is important to that company, the other stuff will happen. There's a time and place for the deal making on the financial side. And it was really clear that there were things that Pepsi wasn't getting from some of the other properties. And we brought a diverse set of consumers. When you looked at the multicultural aspect of the NBA, you know, we had a younger demographic than some of the other sports leagues. And we had some of these crown jewel moments for them to be part of. And at the time, Mountain Dew, their energy drink, when you think about it, it was like aligning an energy drink with the pace of the NBA, along with having a global footprint. And like I mentioned, just an audience that they were not getting from some of the other properties. So we we got it done. And I remember one of the highlights was not just on the deal-making side, but Indra, who I so revere for everything that she had done for not just women as such a successful CEO, but she had seemed like an incredible individual from all I had read, but we had never met live. And Mm. I wanted to make a great impression, of course. And one of my signature things coming off the T-Mobile partnership was I was always in magenta because I'm rocking the brand colors. So you better believe that I showed up at the Pepsi press conference wearing Pepsi blue and Indra, the first thing she said after like, Rachel, you know, so nice to finally meet you because my counterpart at Pepsi had talked about me just like I had spoken about Adam to my David. And she said, thank you so much for wearing the home team colors. So that dress was a winner (laughs) and companies care about, you know, things like brand identity or helping them really stand out as well. So it was wonderful to meet her and it's continued to be a successful partnership as I now watch from my drone racing league seat, everything that's going on with the uh, NBA partnerships. Well, I'm sure you have that dress framed somewhere or kept, you know, on a mantle because that's, that's a, that's a critical transition point in one person's life where they're able to kind of convert upon an opportunity and prove your worth to the person that basically held you up and gave you an opportunity. And I think that David, you know, God rest his soul is to be commended for that because then you were able to kind of make a couple different transitions. You know, you're going over to landed and, you know, where they're revolutionizing professional development for women, new approach to career and acceleration. But then I mean, what was the decision in leaving the NBA? Because a lot of people, it's the biggest thing. So why did you decide to leave the NBA, go to land it? And then how did you ultimately get to the Drone Racing League? So you're correct. A lot of people probably scratched their heads. I was at the height of my career heading up global new business for a property that's got, you know, 99.9% household penetration. Everybody knows the NBA. You know, it's the number one top tier professional global sports league. And it's the NBA. Like everybody loves that company. And I'd been there over 20 years. So for me, it was really a personal decision about I had an ambition to run a company. And the only way to do that was to really go work for an early stage company. Mm. And I really felt like this was 
way more time than I thought I would spend at like the first act in my career. But every year was wonderful and I was learning new skills and I was raising my hand. So it never felt like 20 years was as long as it sounds out loud when I think about my own age and having worked there like half of my life. So in terms of my decision to leave, I just proactively told the MBA that I wanted to pursue something more entrepreneurial, that it wasn't, it wasn't them. It wasn't, you know, it was me. It was like not a bad breakup. It was much more of a, I, I loved every minute of this career. I am so grateful for the opportunities. I want to go out and figure out what's next for me. So essentially I left as a free agent to your point of like, what were people thinking? It's like you pick up your toys and these are really nice toys at the NBA. <laughs> you pick up your toys with not the next job, but I was betting on myself. So I I bet on the fact that I could go to another company and be one of the first five to 10 employees, help build it, and then ultimately see what was next after that. So Land it was an incredible opportunity that, to your point, is revolutionizing career management. It's using technology to power careers, which is, when you think about technology running the world, just an incredible opportunity for companies to invest in their people. And I, I loved every minute. We were raising money. I was managing business. I was under tables, packing gifts for clients. Like I did everything. <laughs> and I, you know, I loved every minute. There's, there's no task too small or too big. And, and everyone had said that they're like, Rachel, you're so cut out for early stage company, but you are going to fall off a cliff in terms of people around you doing things. But I've always been wired to do a lot on my own and not ever act like I'm above anything. I'm always doing the same job that anyone who works for me does. So that came pretty easy. And I'm humming away at Landit, helping, you know, to build the company incredibly successful and enter back your favorite person, David Stern, in the fall of 2019. I had always kept in touch with with my friends at the NBA, but David, every couple months, I would like go up to his office and he had been investing in a lot of technology companies that were connected to sports. So like mm-hmm. he kept going into the city, he was working every day. There was no retirement as he, you know, hated people just because he didn't have his commissioner title. He was working his tail off. I don't know if I can use any other words there, but he he was working as hard as he ever did. And in the fall of 2019, we went to an event together and he called me that night and he said, we should talk about getting you back to sports. And at that point, I'm like, I love what I'm doing. It's, it's great. It really, really is. And there was no timeline on it. You know, there was no time on like the getting back to sports. And for me, I had been away from sports now for a couple of years and I could see myself going back to it, but there was like no time horizon. And next thing I know, I really out of left field got a call 
from a headhunter that had worked with the MBA but couldn't touch me when I was there. And she called me and said, I need to meet with you about something. It was the middle of December. I think it was snowing outside. And I said, I'll see you after the new year. She said, no, I need to see you before the new year. And I went to meet with her and she sat across the table from me and said, you're going to be the president of the Drone Racing League. And you said, yes. You said, absolutely, I'm ready to go. (laughs) I was like, I heard a few of those sound bites. She told me a little bit more. I asked a lot of questions and I went home that night and I said to my husband, I met with Michelle James. She talked to me about a drone racing league. I didn't know. I mean, like, I'm a sports girl. Like, I, as you know, season tickets to the Giants. I'm following everything going on. I have 12-year-old boy-girl twins. So, like, we're we're all in on Auburn and professional and this and that. So, but I did not know enough about the drone league. And my husband said to me the next morning, you're going to take that job. And I was like, wait, what? I haven't even met with the founder. So P.S. Dahani, I I met with Nick Horbachevsky, who's just a brilliant visionary. And we went out. He talked to me about taping up drones in the backyard of a Home Depot and wanting to build a sport that was inclusive, that was tech first. I bought anything he was selling, I think, that day. I don't even think I ate. I think we met for lunch. I, don't, I didn't <laughs> end up eating that day. But I just felt like everything he needed to make this sport a mainstream sport, a billion dollar business. Like I was trained to run those plays. And if I took the job, I would start on day one, just building a Navy SEAL operation of academy trained people to work here that know how to do the sponsorship, the marketing, the event production. And that's what we've been doing for the last two years. Well, I've been a big fan of Drone Racing League. And I remember when you're racing through different old malls, old buildings, and just leveraging the technology to create a completely different experience. But the business itself, as it's grown, has probably been most affected by your leadership qualities. I mean, that's, and your leadership philosophy, that's how a company grows. So what are some of the key intricate factors of your leadership philosophy that you've infused within the business to allow it to grow to where it is today? Everyone has a sales mindset. And I think that has served us really well. You can be running events for us, but you have to think about the end goal that we want fans around the world viewing our sport as the most brilliant thing they've ever seen. We want our partners feeling like we bring in a net new audience and we're positioning them as contemporary brands and we're setting them up for success. So this notion of having like that winner mentality and the sales mindset, I come to work every day. I am the head cheerleader. It starts with my leadership there and I infuse that throughout the company and I'm allowing a culture of learning where when given this opportunity I had 25 years experience at two other companies where I wanted to take 
the best of the best? What were the things I loved about my best managers? What were the things that irked me or didn't want to make me bring my A game every day? And I'm like, how do I build that culture that really invests in people that could forever like change their lives and careers because that like I can have a hand in that. Like I want to look back and say, you were part of history. Our children, our grandchildren are going to grow up in a world just like Kevin Plank said at Under Armour, where, you know, before Under Armour, there was Nike, there was Adidas. Kids now are born into a world where Under Armour exists. And I want that same thing for the Drone Racing League, where we are this tech-driven mainstream sport. And you are going to see us on primetime networks. We have millions of fans around the world. And we're going to be like one of your favorite sports that you can watch and love our pilots who are athletes throughout the year. So you've had championships in Vegas. You guys are all over the place in NBC and Sports. And by the way, you better be, you heard it here. You better be coming to sit courtside at our opening day race, which we haven't announced yet, but you have a personal invitation from me to be my <laughs> guest. Well, I'd love to be your guest. And I will definitely take you up on that offer because I, I think that the future will be in 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 drone racing. And the, and the fact that the league brings so many of the athletes together in order to be able to kind of showcase their skills is important. And, you know, as we kind of come to the conclusion of our, uh, of our chat, because you and I could talk for hours, there's the sports side, but then there's also this unique intersection of sport technology, and then also where military comes into it. So I, I know you guys have a renewed partnership with the United States Air Force. So I just want to just hint and talk a little bit about that because when it comes to negotiations, you're doing deals with brands, but then now you're doing deals with the military. I mean, that's, that's a whole nother level. I mean, Pep, you thought Pepsi was big. The military is, is big and you, and you just, you secured it. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. They have been a fantastic partner of ours for the last several years, but it's also such a key differentiator when you think about talking to us about a partnership with the Air Force, a partnership with Algorand on the blockchain side, with the technology companies that we work with. I feel like my competitive advantages, and listen, I know all the teams that are running the NFL, NBA, MLB, but like we get to sit across the table from companies and talk with lithium batteries and chip manufacturers. They can't do that because our drone is essentially our ball. So to to be able to open up this range of companies like the Air Force, who, by the way, they want people that love aerodynamics and flight. So you look at our population, I'm like, 30x times more invested in being interested in the Air Force when you think about flying drones. So I have a tailor-made population that they can recruit in, and they already know, like, this is a filtered audience. You're not just running a Super Bowl spot and spending $10 million for 100 million eyeballs. We're targeted when you think about being able to reach a demographic with precision. Well, anybody that sits across the table from Rachel knows that 
they're going to become her best friend. And she's going to convince them that whatever she's got, they're going to want to work with with you in order to do it. So just in, in our last last question, you know, we always talk about meals and deals. So what's your favorite place to celebrate your biggest deal or how do you celebrate your biggest your biggest moments because you've had so many of them? Oh, my favorite place to celebrate is at home with my family. <laughs> so my kids, my husband, like they've been so much apart. My my parents, literally like my favorite days are going to the house I grew up in New Jersey where my parents live, my dad barbecuing or going out to one of our favorite restaurants and just celebrating, you know, the opportunities to be all together. Well, you and I are going to celebrate when I sit courtside and hang out with you as as we watch this amazing you know experience. Actually, Tahani, I'm going to upgrade you. You're not going to be courtside. You're going to be on the flight deck. Okay, I can do that too. I love that. I'm in it. I'm in it. I just want to say, Rachel, thank you so much. You've given us so many different bits and bites that I hope everybody's really taking to heart. And I think one of the things that you said that was most important, you got to be able to be able to and be willing to do any and everything, right? When you were packaging things underneath the table, when you're making the phone calls, it didn't matter who was on the other end. You were going to talk to them like they're your peer. And when people like David Stern call you and they recommend things for you, being able to not shy away, but move towards it. And I think that's the deal-making mindset and the path that you've laid for not only yourself, but so many people that are coming after you as well. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. This is great. A special thanks again to Rachel Jacobson for being with us today. It's really amazing to see the work she's doing in the world of drone racing and learn how the Drone Racing League is coming to investing in deal-making from a whole new perspective. If you're enjoying The Pathfinders, please make sure to leave a review so more people can find the show. Until next time, I'm Donnie Jones, and this has been The Pathfinders, presented by Hans Rada. Hold up. 